This salvation that we enjoy is not a static thing. Sometimes we speak in terms of, I got saved at such and such a time, and as I just carried on living because it's not static, it moves all the time. And we go from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We are moving, and the rate at which we move is somewhat dependent upon us. Some people, they simply get saved and they stay where they are for long periods of time, or they move and then they stay again without the movement on. In this church, our church is moving on. Uh, when we, the way we sing how we sing now, some of you might say, oh, I don't like this. I want to sing songs like we used to sing before. Or you might even go further back and say, I want to sing hymns like I used to sing them before. What we have to do is be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is saying and doing with us in this development. One thing I notice about this sort of worship, it's quiet, it's still, and it gives a lot of space for our participation. If we don't participate, it will seem odd and a weird sort of worship. What it requires is that we are drawn into something. Maybe the day of singing a set of six or seven songs nice and loud, raucousy, that's gone. There's a sort of a buzzword, a spiritual buzzword, which is the word presence, to come into his presence. And I think what we're experiencing here is the setting by which the Holy Spirit says, now come, come and read the scriptures together, come and pray together, come and exercise the gifts of the Spirit together. If we don't, we have this weird sort of worship that is here, that's quiet, welcoming us into God's presence, and we have a reluctance to come and express ourselves. Oh, I could have got that completely wrong, but I don't think I have. And I think what it demands of you is that you come. You cannot come and sit or hide behind a set of six songs anymore. God said, now you've got to come. You've got to lift up hands. You've got to move in the realm of the Spirit. You've got to pray. You've got to come into my presence or the whole thing will appear weird. And you'll hanker for songs again. And God says, I'm trying to move us forward. And if we don't, we will go back to songs. We'll go back to singing sets. That's the reality of it. Derek Prince said, if you haven't advanced since yesterday, you've backslidden. And I agree with that. There is no static state of salvation. There is no static state for the church. The church moves, and we have to be movers with it, advancing with him. How important are we to the purposes of God? I mean, is your existence significant to the kingdom? Would the kingdom be just the same if you weren't even here? If you never existed? If you weren't saved? Would it, 
Would it affect anything of God? Are you important? Are you relevant? As a church, are we important to God? Is Hope Community Church significant? Does it make any difference to the kingdom? If we weren't here, would the kingdom of God be any different? I mean, after all, look at us. A small group of people in this remote place. Are we significant? Does God want to do more through you as an individual than you're permitted to do, or us as a fellowship? I want to seek to answer those questions a little bit this morning. We, we live in an age of celebrity status, don't we? And um, you're either seen and important and a celebrity, or you're just nothing. Um, and when I listen or watch reality TV, and I don't like it very much, and I, I listen to phone-ins on the radio, that just reinforces my opinion about the great mass of people are just a mass. And the only people that count are celebrities. People of renown, people who are there, people who are charismatic, people who have power, people who have money, people who have ability. Now, that's, that's what society tells us. That's a downright lie. But that's the society in which we find ourselves, and its effects is, I'm just one of the mass. I'm not important. I'm not significant. I can't make a difference. Who am I? And we transfer this into the kingdom of God. And we have some of this celebrity stuff in the kingdom, don't we? You know, I'm not as, I'm not as gifted as Bill Johnson, um, Heidi Baker, Joyce Meyer. I mean, God bless them. I'm not trying to pull them down. What I'm saying is, they're just people like you, for heaven's sake. There are no difference in them. You say, well, they have a gift in. They can do something. You haven't got a gift that is, is waiting to burst forth on the scene of the kingdom of God and make a tremendous difference. Of course you have. But they've simply just stepped into what they believe that God has called them to. But we shrink back, thinking these are special people, and we're not. We give them celebrity status. And they're wonderful people. I'm not trying to pull them down. I'm trying to lift us up. I'm trying to elevate us to see who we are in God. It's not us and them. I thank God for the great characters. I thank God for the Billy Grahams and the Reinhardt Bonkeys and the, you know, C.S. Lewis's and whether they're authors or preachers or head ministries, thank God for them. But if you ever read their story, they come always, nearly always, from humble beginnings. Lower than most of you, possibly. In, in a bigger mess than you ever were. But they have stepped forward as an example to us that we can all step forward. And I get this from Scripture as well. 
Moses, the greatest patriarch of all time, it says. And it says no one was greater than Moses until Jesus came, and he was the son of a slave. Understand, nothing was on his side. David was just a shepherd boy in the fields looking after sheep. Who was Mary? She was just a poor girl from the country. God has so much more for us. God's in the business of raising us up. Us as a church and you as a person. You are not nothing. You are gifted of God. Let me show you what David wrote in Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. We could have it up there. Psalm 40, 1 to 3. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, and out of the mire. See what he's trying to say? I couldn't have been in a worse mess. A slimy pit, a mud, and a mire. I was stuck in this filth. I was, I was locked in something down here. And he said, he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You say, oh, that's David. No, it's you. The application of the Psalms is first to David, second to Jesus, and thirdly to you. He's speaking to you. God has picked you up from the mire, from the slimy pit, from, from nothing, and established you on a rock, on a firm place. And he says, now you're on this firm place. There is nothing stopping you from living a life that glorifies God. Just like David did, just like Moses did, just like the other saints that we read about. They were in a mess. The slaves used to be in the mud and mire. They were gunging it up with their feet so they could make clay with it. It was literal for them. And God raises up this man, Moses, in the same way he wants to raise every one of us up. Establish us on a firm ground and live for the glory of God. And it says, he'll give a song in our mouths. Now this song, you can either sing it or speak it or live it, but what it says, you will manifest the glory of God. That's what he's called all of us to do. Some speak it, some sing it, some simply live it. And the result is that when people look to your life, it says they will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. It isn't a job for the super saints. It isn't a job for the Joyce Myers. It isn't a job for the Heidi Bakers. It isn't a job for the Billy Grahams. It's a job for us. But the devil's job is to keep you down. You're not a super saint. You're just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, you're not an old sinner saved by grace. You've been lifted and established on a rock that your life might be lived for the glory of God. You have to believe 
what God has said about you, because if you don't, you will believe what the devil has said about you, and he said your life will never count for anything. You're just one of hundreds and thousands of millions of other Christians who sit in the pew and live good lives. If that's all you've been saved for, that's pathetic. You haven't been saved just to be good and come to church. That's the worst that religion offers us. We've been saved that we might be significant in our lives, in the world, turning men and women to God. And he gathers precious people together into fellowships and his desire is to use them for his glory that they might manifest God in that place. And we settle for much, much less. And who is robbed? God is robbed of the glory and the lost are lost of an opportunity to meet the living God. It's all right for you, you're home and dry. It doesn't matter, does it? You're safe. You have an eternal destiny with God. But the purpose is that we would do so much more. Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, 7 and 8. Hannah, Hannah saw this. Hannah, when she went to the, the prophet, Eli, she was mumbling and pouring her heart out to God, a bit like the psalmist says, I cry and I wait unto you. And Hannah was the same. And, and she they interpreted that she was drunk, but she wasn't. And this is what she says in her song in 1 Samuel 2. The Lord sends poverty and wealth, he humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. You see, it's the same again. He has lifted you. He has exalted you. He has placed your feet upon a rock that you might live for the manifest glory of God and point others to Jesus Christ. In Luke, someone else said something very similar to that. Luke chapter 1. This is Mary. We call it the Magnificat, don't we? says this in verse 36, and Mary said, and remember who Mary was. Mary was just a peasant girl, very poor, nothing that you would have looked upon especially. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. It's the Mighty One who has come in your life to lift you. You cannot lift yourself. You are dust. But the Mighty One has come to lift you. His mercy extends to those who, who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with arm and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. 
It's good in some ways that you think you're nothing. You walk in a humility. But don't let it be a false humility that keeps you down there. Because the devil will switch it and not allow you to be exalted by him whose desire is to exalt you. To exalt his church, to exalt his people, to lift us. And that's what Christ died for. Christ went to the cross to lift you. And we mustn't let the enemy keep us down. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 30. It says, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. You see, in the very economy of God, you are perfect. Perfect. Because you're hopeless like me. You're weak like me. You're lacking like me. But God takes pleasure in that. But we have to respond. It is not the charismatic that carry it off with God. It is the humble and the weak that make it. But we have to recognize our humility in God's hands is a powerful thing for the building up of his kingdom. And why has he done this? To nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you want to boast? It's encouraging you to be boastful. Do you understand that scripture says, you are to boast about what God has done for you, how God has lifted you up, how God has exalted you, how you're supposed to be boasting all day long. Not, oh, I'm just a wretched poor thing trying to get to heaven. But boasting in the Lord. We should have a boast about our church, but not boasting in our, how wonderful we are, but how wonderful God is that he could take lowly people like us and exalt us that others would be brought to the kingdom. Amen. That's it. We must not believe the lie any longer that Satan would feed into your head and so confuse you and keep your feet in the mire, in the mess, where nothing is happening. And we think this is my lot in life. God has declared what your lot in life is, that we would be a boastful people. Why can't we boast about hope? What God has done in our church with us. That's what the scripture indicates. Our wisdom is Christ coming into us. We have the wisdom that Christ has. We have his holiness, his righteousness, and his redemption in us because not who we are, but because who Christ is. This must fire you. If not, we come back again 
as very, very humble, humble people who are glad to be saved. It's not good enough, church. It's not good enough. God is expecting more of us. Who are we? Has God taken hold of this church? The children of Israel, God did marvellous, marvellous things for them. I mean, wonderful things. He took them through the ten plagues and not one of them touched them. He led them into a place of liberty and freedom from their oppressors. He opened up the Red Sea. He led them. He provided for them. He fed them. He watered them. And they could not see it at all. They simply complained about their condition. They had forgot what God had done. We can do the same. Hope is a church like every other in the hand of God. And from time to time, we need to go over our history and say, yes, I see the hand of God in this place. I see his miraculous provision. I see what God has done. I see God's leading of us. Not that we boast in who we are, but we boast in what he has done with this rabble here called Hope Community Church. He brought us from Greenford Gospel Church and planted us with our own identity in this place. God did that. We didn't do that. Nobody would have wanted to do that. God did that. God led us forth. God brought us out. God wanted to do something. Yes, he wants to bless Greenford Gospel. Don't get me wrong. I'm not cursing the church. They need the blessing of God as much as we do. But now God has two churches in this place. And God is leading us differently from the way he is leading them. He gave us a building in Perivale. Do you remember? Do you remember the building he gave us? Perfect. I tell you, our income at that time was £120,000 a year from the saints of God giving. When we took the building on, we needed £70,000 to renovate the building. After we decided to build an extension and a few other things, that cost rose to £120,000. Within 12 months, we had not only continued to give the 120,000, but we gave another 120,000 pounds on top, 240,000 pounds. Our giving in 2008-9 doubled. It doubled. It had to, because we never cut anything back, but we spent 120,000 pounds on a building. One lady came into the Bible school who only ever came to this church once and gave a gift of £25,000. She never worshipped here. And why am I saying? Because we need to remember our history. Remember what God has done. Remember how God has led us. Remember that we are significant to God. This is as significant to God 
as any other church on the planet. You better believe it. Because God honors all his children the same. And he wants us to do great and mighty things within the context of who we are in this place. After that, and we had the cafe, God did a wonderful thing in our cafe. Let me tell you the story, just in case you've forgotten it, or you didn't even know the story. We extended the center and provided a cafe there. We asked you one Sunday morning, could you name what name you would like for the cafe? You gave us a list of something like 10 names, 12 names. I sat there on that Monday morning with Matthew Delbridge and Nikki and myself, I remember it as clear as anything, and we looked at these lists of 12 names and Cafe Rendezvous was on the top. We asked each other what we thought of different names and you can imagine no one agreed on the name. So the, the list went on the pinboard and I remember saying, the Holy Spirit will either show us what he wants to call this church or we'll take it to the church, make up a short list and you can vote in the same way we decided on the name of this church. That was on the Monday following the Sunday meeting. I pinned it on the board. On Tuesday there was healing rooms. Now, what I call the cafe now didn't look like a cafe. It was a shell. It was concrete. No furniture. Nothing outside, nothing inside. Just a shell. The healing room people were doing worship and I said, I better sit just outside here on a chair because somebody might come and I can usher them into the healing rooms. As I sat there, it was 8 o'clock at night, it was dark. I saw a lady coming up the road. Oh, I thought, I wonder if she's coming. She crossed the road. It was obviously she was coming to the cafe. I opened the cafe door and she said to me, is this cafe rendezvous? Now you've got to say, God is involved with little us. He wants to do great and mighty things through you and us. I didn't know what to say to the woman. I thought, how do you know this? Who are you anyway? I've never seen you. Why have you come with this? I thought I'd send it to a cafe. Then I thought, well, all the cafes are shut. I'm not going to send you up Bilton Road on a wild goose chase. So I said, I'm sorry. And she went. I've never seen that woman again since. I don't know who she was. I don't know how she knew to come in and ask such a stupid question when it obviously was not a cafe. Is this Cafe Rendezvous? God had sent her. That is the wonderfulness of God. Afterwards, I said, God, why did you do that? Why did you do that? It must have a reason. And God clearly said, if you own something, you name it. You named your children. Nobody else names them. Your parents named you, I presume. It was God's cafe. Now, we did a stupid thing. I did a stupid thing. We did a stupid thing. We took back the ownership of the cafe from God. We set up a manager. We said how it would run. We determined what we should do. We didn't consult God once. We just thought we knew what we would do. So we set up a cafe. And for two and a half years, it traded like the world traded by buying and selling, buying and selling. And in my heart, I knew there was something wrong that we should give and receive, give and receive. After two and a half years of that, the finances in our church were taking a dive downwards. 
Our finances have never started to rise yet. We struggle financially in this church. Let me tell you that. We struggle. We struggle to pay salaries. We struggle to pay our rent. We live from hand to mouth, from month to month. That's the reality of where we are as a people. That's not good. That's not good for us to know that. We need to examine our hearts about this church. I spoke to God about this whole area, and God spoke very clearly to me just before Christmas of 2012, and he said, read George Muller. I knew of George Muller. George Muller lived by faith, simply trusting God. He said to me, read George Muller. Do you know, I am so stupid at times. I, 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 I can't understand how silly I am. I said to God, I'm going to get some book tokens at Christmas. I will buy some George Muller books. Isn't that stupid? I mean, if God said to you now, get out, walk out the room, Sue, would you go? Of course you would. You wouldn't say, I'll do that at Christmas. No, of course you wouldn't. I did. Somehow I managed to fob God off. And then a week later, God spoke to me exactly the same thing. He said, Philip, read George Muller. And you know, I said to God, we've had this conversation. I can remember it as clear as anything. I said, I told you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some book tokens and I'll buy some Muller books at Christmas. How, how crazy. How crazy. When you know it's God speaking, you think up some daft answer. What is wrong with us? I thought this should know. You remember when Pharaoh was plagued with all the frogs? And he said to Moses, stop them tomorrow. Wasn't that a stupid thing to say? I would have said, stop them now. Moses said, stop the frogs now. Oh, he said, stop them tomorrow. We'll just enjoy them for another 12 hours. I was as stupid as Pharaoh, honestly, honestly, honestly. As I'm looking through my bookshelf the next week, I see the autobiography of George Muller. I had it all the time. I just forgot I had it. I took it down off the shelf, and I nearly read the entire book at one sitting at that moment. And God said to me very clearly, you're to give everything away, like I said. Give it away and trust me. And so we... we organize that and we plan to give everything away the year prior to us giving it away free the income and you can read it in the accounts for the cafe was seven thousand the next 12 months when we gave it away it was seventeen thousand this year after six months is twenty five thousand we serve a god who is interested in us he has lifted us from the mire and established us on a rock and we need to follow the precepts of God as he establishes them and talks to us and we need not dare make a decision in our lives without consulting the Almighty. If you do, you do it at your peril. His ways are far in excess of yours and his thoughts are far beyond your thoughts and if he's our God he needs to call the shots for our church God is a great God God is interested in us God wants to prosper us and bless us beyond what you could ever imagine Daphne has constantly stood up in this church and said what has she said? That's it, you all know. Go. Go. And you've gone. You've gone. 
Almost 50% of our church have gone on overseas missions. In the last six to seven years, this church, you who've gone on missions, have invested something like £150,000 in your mission. God is interested in us. God has provided for you to go. If you haven't gone, it's probably because you've chosen not to go. Not because God hasn't provided you with the, the means to do it. And of course, if, you, if he hasn't and you step out in faith, surprise, surprise, it's there. We can all go on mission. We can all invest our lives in the things of God. We can all allow God to challenge us and stretch us and, and cause us to grow in him. He's established us on a solid rock for the glory of him. Sri Lanka, Thailand, Mexico, Kenya, Israel, India, the Philippines. We've gone. And money has not been an object to us. God, God is in this place. God is as concerned for you as he is Heidi Baker. He has as much aspiration for your life as he does for Billy Graham or Kenneth Copeland or C.S. Lewis or any of these Bill Johnsons or Joyce Myers or whoever you read about and think about or know about. He's got the same for you. Paul Yonggi Cho with his church of a million plus, he said, the only gift that I've got is the gift of boldness. That I would not sit and do nothing. God has gifted you. He's graced you with gifts. In the cafe at this minute, we facilitate 20 community ministries. 20 take part in our cafe, reaching the community. It's amazing. You say, oh, I didn't realise. No, because the devil will keep you in the dark. He will cause you to forget what God has done, to forget God's provision, to forget the guidance of God, the hand of God, the leading of God, the provision of God. From this church, we have either sent out, supported and encouraged over a dozen full-time workers for God in the short nine years. And there might be some that I've just... I did it quickly last night. At least a dozen people are working full-time for the Lord or have been... Not that we've supported them, but we've encouraged them. We've inspired them. They've gone. There are four or five out there now that are working for the Lord full-time because of the inspiration in this place and because of the anointing of God. There is no limit upon you. You say, I don't think God's calling me. You'd be surprised who God calls. He calls the weak. He calls the broken. He calls those that don't fit the plan to go. Every time my wife sits on the plane next to me, she stops the blood flowing in my arm. <laughs> but she is determined to go. It's, it's not for the charismatic or the great or the mighty or the strong. Give your life. Give your life. Give your life to the kingdom. Give it. 
I know I'm only speaking to some of you, but give it. You say, well, what could he do with me? You should know what your gifting is and start moving in that gifting and let God flow through you. He would have thousands and thousands more full-time workers trusting and believing and walking by faith and responding to the call. You could say, no, this, that's a job for someone else. That's not a job for me. That's it. Most of us only tap into a tiny percentage of the ministry potential that God has for us. A tiny percentage. It's like, you know, they say we only use, I don't know, 10% of our brains or less. We only use 10% of our potential in ministry with God. Just a little, just the bits that I've said is just a tiny percentage that God has done through us. You say, well, where could we be if we threw our complete lot into this? If we gave all of our money to this? If we invested all of our lives into the things of God? Where would we be? Where would we be? Hope exists to assist you to reach your full potential. I hope you've never, ever been in this church and thought that you were restricted. If you have, you've been lied to. Any suggestion that you have, any desire for ministry, has only been encouraged. Our responsibility is to hear God's call on our life and respond. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 4.10. He said, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You should know what your gifting is, or gifts, and you should be investing those into the kingdom. 100% and allow God the liberty to expand you and to expand us as a church. It's been a sad week. We buried John Taylor this week. John's 64 years of age. I tell you, when you're 63, that's young. I, my brother-in-law died on Friday. He's 61. That's even younger to die. I was arrested by God. I thought, Philip, how long have you got? 10 years? 20 years? 25 years? I don't want to waste an opportunity I don't want to spend my life watching television. I, I don't want to spend my thought life filled with a lot of junk that is totally ineffective in the kingdom. Yes, I want to love my family and I want to enjoy myself and I want to have fun and I want, I want to do all these things. I can have that and the kingdom 
when you get to the end, will you regret? We're not doing this because we're afraid of God. We're doing it because we love him. But when you get to the end, what will your thoughts be? It needs to be, I've run the race, and I have fought the fight, and I have given everything I possibly could to the building up of the kingdom of God. Understanding your gift, God makes a way for it, the scripture says. He makes a way for you. And I tell you, we're not here to stop you. But even if we did, God would make a way for you. Look at the potential. Look, look, look around. Look, look at the potential of just this small band of people. Weak, fallible, frightened, inadequate. The very ones that God uses for his glory. Look at us. Fantastic. You have to see with the eyes of God the potential that your life is in the hands of God. And if you've been in first gear up to now, get up into second, third, fourth, fifth, some cars have seats. Get up into that gear. Get up into that gear and move. 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 Because when you get to the end, you'll go, I wish I'd done something else. I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd exercised my gift. I wish, I wish. Too late. Too late. Too late. Let me pray with you. Jesus, I want to thank you for those two precious lives that left us in the last couple of weeks. For John and for my brother-in-law, Mike. Lord, they knew you, they loved you, they served you. And Lord, as I look at their lives, I, I can't help by thinking about the brevity of life. How it goes so quick. And Lord, we can make up for times that we've allowed to just whip past us and we've had our heads somewhere else. Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done in this church, for the story that we have, for the journey that we have, seeing the hand of God upon us and the wonderful provision that you've made in our personal lives. But God, do so much more with us, I pray. Don't let us be lethargic, please. Come and shake that which needs to be shaken in us. Lord, that our hearts will overflow with a passion and a desire to serve and to give and to bring glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, Phil. That's brilliant. Can I ask the worship team to come back up, please? And can we just give the worship team a round of applause and thank you very much for a marvellous job.